How many of you have parachuted before? How many of you? Some of you have. Okay. All right. I, I know it's got to be a thrill. I've always wanted to do it. But uh, I have somebody at home that says, you're not going to do that. So I, I never have been able to do that. But, you know, uh, what we're talking about, that that's certainly gives you a, a hint, if the title doesn't, about the message today. And it's stewardship. And it talks about the fact that you've got, you you got to take that jump. If you want to be a good, faithful steward, you've got to take that leap of faith. And you've got to be, you got to be ready for then what's going to follow after that. And I would think it might not compare to the thrill of, of parachuting and doing some skydiving, but there's a certain thrill about knowing that you're being faithful and obedient to what God wants you to do when you are a good steward. So we're talking today about together developing a culture of generosity, and that's within the life of our church. Our 2014 uh, proposed a budget for next year, our financial plan of ministry was approved last week. And it's entitled Together, with the hope that together, as we all give faithfully and, and willingly and obediently and joyfully, then that we will all join together in, uh, in ministry, because that's what our budget really is. It's a, it's a financial commitment to the ministry that we want to do through the life of our church. So together, then, is that thing that has the hope that we will all work towards developing a lifestyle of generosity and together then, we will create that culture of generosity through Spring Valley Baptist Church. Now, what is generosity? Well, generosity is just simply basically uh, our response to God's goodness in our life. All of us have been blessed by God. We've all been blessed differently and, and to different levels. We've all been blessed financially, but to different levels. And God has done that. And, and, and our being generous is a result of the fact that we are grateful to God, we love God, we appreciate what He's done for us, and we want to be faithful and obedient to His Word. So I want to encourage you that this week when you receive uh, a letter about the stewardship commitment and your stewardship commitment card, uh, that you will seriously pray about that as a family, and that you will pray about what you will give and what you will do uh, in terms of being generous. And we'll talk at the end of the message about some of the challenges and some of the ways that, that you can make that commitment. But I want us to get an image when we're thinking about being generous and somebody's not generous about the Dead Sea. You got some pictures of that. Any of you been to the Dead Sea? Any of you floated in it, seen it? I, I've had the occasion to, to go there when I was on a trip in the Holy Land some years ago. And, uh, you know, about the only people who go in that are tourists because it's, uh, it's just so salty. And you can't swim. You won't see any sailboats. You won't see any property being developed around the Dead Sea with beautiful houses out there. And even though it's about 10 miles by 50 miles, because it's just, it's dead. Uh, no fish can live in it. Uh, it's nine times saltier than the ocean, but all you can do in it is float. And for a few minutes, I made my way down in there, and I floated for a while, and then took about 40 minutes to try to get all the salt off my body. Now, the interesting thing about the Dead Sea is it's dead because it has no outlet. Uh, the Jordan River and some other tributaries feed it with fresh water, but having no outlet, the sun just beats down on it and evaporates all the water. And the only thing that's left is, is, uh, is the fresh water is left is that stagnant water and with all that salt. So if we think about that and compare it to people and the attitude about generosity then, you would say that a dead sea giver is one who has the abundance of resources that flow into his or her life. And, and they receive those gladly, but they have no outlet for those resources. And the result of that is they're going to become a, a, a dead body of water. 
They're going to become stagnant. They're going to become stale because they have no outlet. They give nothing. No resources go out. Now, the challenge for us is, as we look at the Scripture today, is to develop that lifestyle of generosity. And when we hear these words of Scripture uh, out of 2 Corinthians chapter 8, I think we'll find that, that Paul is greatly challenging us to be good stewards. And a good steward is one who is concerned about how he or she is going to make money, what they're doing with that money, and, and what that money is doing to them. Those are always three great questions about money. You know, how did you make it? Did you do it honestly, dishonestly? Did you earn it, you know, by the sweat of your brow? You know, uh, and what, do, what are you doing with that money? And most importantly, look at what's it doing to you? Is it allowing you, are you using it to help you be generous? Or is it leading you towards being more greedy? Uh, leading you towards greed rather than generosity. So, as we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we know that Paul is, is uh, on a mission. Uh, the suffering saints in Jerusalem are literally dying. They're starving to death. And so, he's going around to the churches, most of them which he started. And he's taking up a collection for those saints in Jerusalem. And he's going to, to deliver it. He's going to be coming to the church in Corinth. And he wants them to be prepared so that they would give uh, as well. And I think some of the hints it gives us in here is to say that they, they, maybe they weren't giving. Maybe they didn't have that culture of generosity uh, within the body of their church. So, 2 Corinthians 8, beginning in verse 7. Paul says, But just as you excelled in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you. But I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, so that you through His poverty might become rich. Now what does Paul say to us? Uh, what, what spiritual insight do we gain uh, from this passage of Scripture so that it would be a challenge to us and enable us to have a concern about our level of generosity. I think there are several things he says. First of all, he says that Jesus is our role model for generosity. And that would be about everything. But sometimes we, we want to take that role model of Jesus and kind of twist it around. It reminds me of a, of a scene in the kitchen on Saturday morning. That mom's going to make pancakes for the two sons. Uh, Kevin is five and Ryan is three. And they get to squabbling, the two boys do, about who's going to get the first pancake. And so she says, this is a time for that teachable moment. And she says, boys, let me tell you something. She said, if Jesus was here, he would say, let my brother have the first pancake and I'll wait to get mine. And no sooner than she got those words out of her mouth, that Kevin, the five-year-old, looked at Ryan and said, Ryan, you be Jesus. <laughs> I think a lot of us look at Jesus and we say, Thank you, Jesus. You, you did a lot for me. Thank you for dying for me. And that's the extent of how we want to be a role model. Let, let Jesus be a role model for us. But Paul talks about the role model of Jesus in terms of generosity. And, it, and it's an interesting thing. It's a, it's a, it's a powerful and dynamic uh, example that he gives to us. And what is that example? He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. What's he talking about? He's talking about basically the incarnation. When Jesus Christ 
had, had all the glories and splendor and wealth and riches and power, all that that, that was experienced in heaven, and perfect unity with God the Father. But he was obedient to God's will to come to earth and, and to take on the form of a servant, a human being, and the ultimate to lay his life down on the cross for us. That's what uh, Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. And he says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. That's Jesus' incarnation where he came down to us. And he goes on to say, he took the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. That's his birth in Bethlehem, the peasant family. And being found in appearance as a man, Jesus lived a 33-year life on the face of the earth. Uh, after he reached manhood, he was a carpenter by trade. Then he became an itinerant teacher, a rabbi. And, and he healed people and he taught people. And then ultimately he went to the cross and he laid down his life and he died there as the perfect sacrifice for our sins so that we could be forgiven. He humbled himself on that cross. And so Jesus gave up all the glory and riches and power, whatever it might have been that he had in heaven, to come to earth and made himself lowly so that we could be the beneficiaries of that. He was so generous that, that our response is to be one of generous uh, reaction to what he has done for us. Because without that, we wouldn't have forgiveness, we wouldn't experience salvation, we wouldn't have a dynamic relationship with God. You see, that's where we're made rich. Maybe not necessarily financially, but we are rich spiritually because of what Jesus has done for us as being our, our Savior, being our Messiah who, who gave His life for us. We're spiritually rich in the fact that we get to have a personal relationship with God. And we do so because of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. And so the question for us is this, are we living a life with an overwhelming sense of gratitude or am I just very careless and indifferent about my response to what Jesus did for me? Remember, Jesus is the role model about the generosity of giving his life. Now, here's the second thing uh, that I think Paul points out. And he says, our motivation for generosity is love. Paul states very clearly in verse 8, I'm not commanding you. And the reason that he didn't command is because you, you, you can't command somebody to be generous. It has to be a decision of the heart. You know, when, it, when it's stewardship time and it's time to make a, a, a pledge, uh, or, or back um, last year when we were earlier this year when we were doing the capital funds campaign for the student center, you know, we didn't come around and put a gun to your head and make you sign this, saying you will be generous and you will give and you will do this. And we don't do that. And the Bible says we, don't, we can't command somebody to be generous. But Paul says something interesting in there. He says, I want to test the sincerity of your love for us by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Now, I think we get a hint there that the Corinthian congregation might not have been as generous as some other ones had been. Maybe they even had a reputation for being a little bit greedy or a little bit of a skinflint congregation, you know. Uh, and the reason for that is he goes back to the beginning of this chapter and he talks about another church where he had visited and that was the Macedonians. And listen to what he says there. He says, now brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. And that seems like those wouldn't go together, would they? So they had... They had uh, a severe trial, extreme poverty, 
And the result was rich generosity. He says, For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. And see, the Macedonians knew what it was to respond generously to God because of what Jesus Christ had done for them. And I think Paul is saying that to the Corinthians. I, I'm not commanding you, but I want, to, I want you to know what others have done in this. I want you to know what others have done, that they have given generously. Uh, and, and the reason that they gave is because of love. Paul puts in some translations the Scripture say for us. And some have debated, well, what does that love mean? Is it love for, for people and, and, and who are going to receive that offering? And I would say yes. And it would be also love for, for Paul and for the work that he was doing. And, and they gave generously. And, and I look at our budget, and our budget, our financial plan for ministry gives us the same opportunity. Now, of course, you know, a portion of it goes to pay the salary for the staff. And we're grateful for that. But we also have a big section on missions. And we, we send money locally, and we send money that goes around the world. And we trust that. And we also use locally buying school supplies, supporting ministry around us. Uh, part of that with the uh, Inside Out, with Christa Gunnell's ministry, and many other different things that we do. But then we also use it to where we minister within the life of the church as well. You know, we buy material for Bible study classes, and we provide that for the Sunday morning Bible study classes. On some of the special classes, we ask you to do a little bit uh, of buying some of the materials because everything is not budgeted, and the cost of all the material is, is going up all the time. We have money budgeted for our student ministry, money budgeted for our children's ministry, ministry budgeted for our senior adult ministry, budgeted money for music and worship. And you see, all of that is a part of our budgeting because of our love. And it takes the generosity and a culture of generosity of the church to be able to fulfill what we want to do in terms of ministry. So I would suggest to you that the ministry is to people who both have physical needs as well as spiritual needs. Every one of us in here has a spiritual need. Some of you need to know Christ as Savior. Some of you need to have encouragement because of the path you're having to walk today. Some of you need to have wisdom to make the right decisions that you're faced with some kind of challenging situation. You know, and there are all kinds of needs that we have. We can't meet them all, but we try to meet them with our plan and that budgeted plan of ministry. And we ask you to lovingly, faithfully, generously, cheerfully support that because of your love. There's only one test of that, of, of generosity, and it's because of love. And, and, and there is a false theory that says that you have to be wealthy to be able to give generously. And it's well illustrated in a story that I read uh, in a book entitled, Let Us Not Praise Famous Men. And it was by James Agee who, who went into the Appalachian region of our country, one of the most poverty-stricken of all the areas in our nation. And he, and he was visiting with, with one lady who lived in a little one-room shack. And she had a dirt floor, no heat, and no plumbing. And he asked her a question after they talked for a while. Suppose somebody gave you some money to help you out. What would you do with it? You know what she said? She looked around, dirt floor, no heat, no plumbing, very few things uh, uh, of any kind of value in that home. And she said, I guess I would find somebody poor and give it to them. She knew generosity, didn't she? She had a heart of generosity. She, I think she had the priorities straight. And I think that if, if we really responded to the model of Jesus and his sacrificial generosity for us, 
then, then love would be the motivating factor and we would give generously. And we would have that culture of generosity developed uh, within the life of this church. That everyone would participate in that. And that leads us then to, to the third thing I think that Paul says. And he says, our goal in generosity is to excel. When you look at verse 7, he's saying to the Corinthians, just as you excel in everything, and he listens, lists in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, in your love for us. See, they were doing some things and doing them well, and they were good things that they were doing. But then he says also, see that you excel in this grace of giving. I think it was a good church in Corinth. You know anything about that culture, they were, they were really born out of, out of a very wicked, wicked society. And, and they grew to be a strong church. They had some issues. You read First and Second Corinthians and you know they had some issues they had to deal with. Every church has issues they have to deal with in the cultural environment in which they, they live. But evidently, this congregation was not known for having a culture of generosity. And so he says, I want you to excel in this. Now, suppose Paul were to write to this congregation and the individual ones of us and, and would say, I want you to excel in this gift of giving. You know, he could say, you excel in certain things. You know, you excel in, in, in your band. You excel in teaching school. You excel in playing the piano. You excel in, in singing. You excel in, in running your business. You excel in being a good manager of all that God gives to you. And, and, and you're good at computers. And you're really good at photography. You're really good at throwing a party. And you're really very good at watching football games. They, but I think he's saying to them, you haven't put the same kind of effort to excel in the spirit of generosity. Paul had kind of a little dig right there in him, didn't he? Now, I know anytime we bring up this subject of talking about stewardship, that there's some people that don't like that. You know, we shouldn't talk about that. Well, let me tell you something. Uh, if Jesus were your pastor, you would hear a sermon on stewardship, money, and possessions probably every other week. You know why? Because out of his 38 parables, 16 of them dealt with money and possessions and, and wealth and how we're supposed to use it to the glory of God. So I give you a break. You only hear two or three a year at certain times. But this is the week that's important for you to hear this before you make your commitment and pray about that and sign your commitment card. And, and nobody should feel threatened or be angry or anything else, have any other kind of reaction to talking about stewardship because it is a genuine biblical principle. You know, if you don't get that out of reading your Bible, then I'd say you don't excel in reading your Bible. You need to go back and read it a little bit. Now, I've always been pretty hard to hit you with the fact that I believe everybody should tithe, and I still do. But I know some of you could be in financial situations with debt and other things that right now you say, man, I, I just can't start to do that. And I know that God tells us in, in Malachi 3, 8, if we don't give him the tithe, we're robbing him. And he goes on to say in verse 10, but if we give him that tithe, generously, faithfully, lovingly, cheerfully, and obediently, he will bless us abundantly. That doesn't mean that he will give you money raining down from heaven. That doesn't mean that money will mysteriously show up in your checking account. But there will be blessings to come from that. And those of us who have been tithers for a long time can attest to that. 
You know, it teaches you how to manage your money and make priorities. It teaches you how to budget, you know, and all of those things. And when you know how to do that, you are blessed tremendously. But there's also just simply the blessing of knowing that you've been faithful and obedient to what God wanted you to do. So I think everybody should be a tither. I think that's the basic, the, the base point there uh, where we should be. But I want, us to, I want to give you four steps so that you can move towards um, a culture of generosity and develop that in your life. First thing I would say is begin to give something. Now, why do I make that statement? That's because every research that's done on stewardship in the life of churches tell us that no matter how big the church is, no matter how many millions of dollars they might bring in, how many people are there and all the good ministries that they're doing, I mean, this is across the board everywhere. 50% of the church family in every church in America gives nothing to the church. I haven't looked at ours to see if that's true or not. But just based on research, I'd have to say that's probably true. So I'm challenging you to say, if you're in that category, start by giving something. It's a start. John, you know, Rockefeller, John D. Rockefeller was a wealthy man. He gave away millions of dollars. And somebody asked him one time, what's the secret of your success for giving away money? And he said very wisely, I could never have given away millions of dollars unless I had given away that first dollar. And we come to talk about giving, we make it easy for you to do that. You know, the video ought to challenge you. Take that jump. You've got to take that leap of faith. You know, move, jump. You know, whatever it is that you've got to do. And we make it easy for you. If you're a Sunday school member or a church member, we send you a packet of envelopes. They come, um, like what, a packet for two months come. And then there you also have not only weekly envelopes, but you have special permission offering envelopes when it's that season of the year. And then you've also got envelopes in there where if you're not going to be here, you can mail your check in. We also have it where you can do an electronic transfer, a draft from your account that immediately comes to Spring Valley Baptist. A lot of people are opting for that. And then we also have uh, more and more people giving online. That's, that's a method that a lot of people choose to do. I'm the old-fashioned way. I think that giving is a part of worship. I write a check, put it in my envelope, and, and I put it in the plate when the plate's passed because that, to me, is a part of worship. But you give however you want to give. We're just glad that you will do that and support the life and ministry of the church. So begin by giving something. Then the second step I would tell you to do is then begin to give regularly. See, that's better than impulse giving. If you give regularly, that every time you're paid, make a gift, make a contribution, make it some portion or percentage of your income as you give it to the life of the church. And see, that's giving regularly gets you in that pattern and that habit. And then you move to giving the tithe, where you give that 10%. Uh, this week, Cookie and I will sit down, we'll look at our finances, and we will decide what is 10% of the gross. And we do a 10% off of the gross. And, and that's just the way that we've done it. God has blessed us, and he has provided for us. We've been faithful in that. Sometimes it's a stretch. On top of that, we give to a few other, uh, other Christian organizations, and we give into our capital funds campaign for the center. But uh, the first thing that comes out is our tithe check, and we give that. And that's where you need to be moving towards with all your, your process of, of, of becoming a, a generous person and developing that uh, concept of... Um, of, of giving at least 10%. I read not too long ago where Bill Hybels, pastor of um, Willow Creek Church up in the Chicago area, had a guy in his church who had a big business. And he came to Bill Hybels and he said, Pastor, I want you to remind me at least once a year that I'm not crazy. 
And Howell said, well, you don't seem to exhibit any signs of mental illness. You seem healthy and wise and, and well to me. He said, what are you talking about? And he says, well, he says, I tithe out of my business. He says, I tithe. And my, my lawyer, my partner, and my accountant all say, I'm crazy for giving that much money to the church. So he says, I want you to at least once a year tell me I'm not crazy for tithing. You know, when you live in the materialistic society in which we live today, and, and you might have an opportunity to talk about you know, finances and giving and supporting the church and being obedient, there are some people who might say, you're crazy. You think I'm going to give that much money to the church? But you don't have that attitude when you go shopping. You gladly pay the prices that they have wherever you go. Nobody forces you to go to Target or Walmart or, or the shops at, at Sand Hill or wherever you go. And you spend that money gladly and freely. But, but God wants you to become a tither. He wants you to know the joy of giving that way. And he wants to bless you because you do it. And then that leads us to the fourth step. And that is be an extravagant giver. If tithing is the baseline, then anything you give above that. And there are opportunities for you to do that. Our recent capital funds campaign for the Student Center for Future Generations. If you haven't made a commitment and aren't giving for that, you, could, you can begin doing that. We have opportunities for mission giving in multiple ways through the life of this church. That you give above and beyond your tithe. To uh, uh, Lottie Moon at Christmas for International Missions. Uh, Annie Armstrong uh, around Easter for North American missions, and then Janie Chapman doing this season of the year for our state missions. And then we have other offerings that we take that are mission offerings and opportunities to be extravagant and give above the tithe. So that's what it takes to develop a culture of generosity within the life of the church. And it begins with every individual who's a part of this family. So I, I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you to say, you excel in a lot of things, and we do. But we could also do a better job of excelling and developing this culture of generosity. Now, last year we hit, we hit stewardship pretty hard because we were way behind budget. And we talked about stewardship and tithing and giving. And then right on the heels of making those commitments, we came with a, with a capital funds campaign to give uh, beyond your giving regularly and weekly to give for the building. And you responded again very well. Put us in a good position to manage that debt, pay off that building. You know, but the reality is that um, we still need to develop that culture of generosity because some aren't enjoying the blessings that come from giving. And another factor that's been a concern for me is that for the first six months of this year, we were running ahead of budget. We were giving well above our budgeting needs. But in the last three months, we've fallen behind. And I don't know what the reason might be for that, but we have fallen behind. So if you've fallen behind in your giving, I want you to take a look at that and see if there's anything you need to do to catch up on that. But God's challenge to us through his word is that he wants us to be generous. And if we're generous, it will be because Jesus is our role model. We're, we're responding to love and we, we've learned the joy of, of being faithful in giving to show that we love people with spiritual and physical needs, and we minister to them through the life of our church. So I'm asking you to pray about that. And when you receive your letter and your commitment this week, and then be prepared to bring it with you, and Sunday morning we'll place it on the altar and, and pray over those commitments. Now let's pray. Father, uh, we thank you for all the good gifts you give to us. 
you give us your love every day. You grant us your mercy and your pardon and your peace every day. And we're so grateful for that. We're so grateful for what you did for us through Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Lord. And we want to respond to that. And I pray that there will be those who will make decisions today, maybe to accept Christ as Savior, others who might join with us in other ways, and that all of us would make decisions to develop in our own lives that spirit and that culture of generosity as we live faithfully for you and handle the resources that you've given to us in a way that would glorify you. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.